The food industry is something we all have a connection with, as we all like to eat. What goes into establishing a food business, however, is an entirely different story. It is very complex and challenging in any part of the world. Mustafa Koita is the founder and CEO of Koita Foods, an organic food company, which he set up in Dubai in 2013. He tells us his entrepreneurial journey and why we should all be skeptical of the color of strawberry milk. Welcome to Dubai Works, a business podcast about the innovators, the products, the services, and trending topics. Love and Dubai's take on the business stories that matter. My name is Richard Fitzgerald. I'm the founder of Augustus Media, publishers of Love in Dubai, Love in Saudi, and Smashy TV. Each week, we'll be interviewing the dynamic business leaders of Dubai. Good morning, Mustafa. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the Dubai Works Business Podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, so, uh, tell me, how did you decide to uh, look at the region and its need for organic milk? Essentially, I was kind of tired of you know the corporate life and kind of always wanted to have that entrepreneurial bug inside me and wanted to start my own thing. Um, and I was really passionate about healthy food. I had three kids, you know, and we started to notice that there was a big opportunity for healthy eating in the region. Why is it that it's a common theme that people who start food and healthy businesses stems from their kids, <laughs> stems from wanting the best food and produce for their kids? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I'll ingest things that are probably not very healthy <laughs> yeah. for, for an adult. But when it comes to your kids, you know, it's the, kind of the first form of empathy pure empathy you have for someone is with your child and and healthy eating I think has been so important in making their lives you know better basically yeah, yeah, yeah interesting yeah. honestly I think it's if it's not good enough for my kids it's not good enough for anyone else and that's a different mentality that we have versus some of the bigger corporate companies so um, I come from Ireland and sure. uh, milking cows is really really big business a lot of Ireland's agriculture business built on cows uh, so is that the side of business that you're in or do you work with organic uh, farmers for your produce or suppliers or do you have uh, do you produce do you have your own cows in the UAE yeah. so all of our so the, what we notice the quality of the milk depends on what the cows eat how they feel and how you pasteurize it and what we ended up deciding to do is based on consumer research we found the best tasting milk in the organic space actually came from Europe and specifically from Italy. So we produce all of our milk in Torino in the north of Italy, um, and then we package it there, and then we distribute it all over the region. Is that a regional taste of milk or just uh, generally best quality yeah. by different criteria? Yeah, I mean, we found, look, when you're looking for organic, there aren't, there aren't, it's very hard to sustain an organic farm in this environment, you okay. know, where there's not a lot of arable land. So we couldn't make it work. We tried in the region. We tried even close to the region. What we liked about Italy is that for the same reason Italian pasta tastes so good, uh, milk has uh, has a great taste profile. So, for example, Mount Vesuvius exploded in Italy. The 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 land is very fertile, yeah. you know, and so the cows are eating the most nutritious grass in the world. So we have higher quality milk, high, better tasting milk because of that. And that's something that we found that was unique over there that we couldn't find here. That's interesting. The chefs say that about truffles in Italy as well. They yeah. taste really good. So that's interesting about the land and the turf. So so you've created this drinks company uh essentially uh and focused on milk uh, what what was the 
entrepreneurial story around that? Was it easy? Did you just? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Listen, I think, you know, entrepreneurship is not for the faint-hearted. I mean, it's a very, you know, we. I think people see the glamorous side of entrepreneurship. Sometimes they see the PR, they watch a couple episodes of Shark Tank, and they think it's, you know, a lot of fun. But, um, you know, the first one, two, three years were a real struggle. You know, entrepreneurship takes up a lot of time. There's huge cash flow issues. It takes a toll on your personal life, your kids, everything. So, I mean, as far as the journey, all I have to say is that, you know, we were very passionate about what we believed in. We were, we were per extremely persistent. And we started basically from myself and one employee working out of my home office. So you didn't have essentially a business partner or big no. investment or anything like that? No, we, we raised no wow. money to date. Wow. We've kind of self-funded the whole thing. Uh, and it, again, it was tough in the beginning, but now you know we're in you know 12 countries, we've got proper offices, lots of employees and stuff. And we're, I'm very happy because now I, I own the whole thing, you know, Amazing. and we can manage it that way. So six years in, you've expanded into 12 countries in this region. Mm. What share does the UAE take up of that market? Yeah, so the UAE used to be the majority of it. Uh, you know, at one point it was about 90% of our business. Now it's about less than 50 because we're seeing that because we made it in the UAE, the UAE gave us as a company a great platform for the rest of the world. You know, because everyone comes to Dubai, everyone comes to Abu Dhabi and whatnot. And um, and essentially now we're less than 50, the UAE is less than 50%. And my growth is coming from countries like Saudi, Singapore, Philippines, Mauritius, all these neighboring really? countries, yeah. Interesting. And where did you set it up in Dubai and what were the early years like and where are you based now? Yeah, so our first company was set up in the Jebel Ali free zone and we walked in to Jebel Ali. We didn't ha have to hire a lawyer. They were very easy to work with, by the way. I, I went directly to them and within about, 30 days I had a trade license right. and, a, and, a, and a virtual office set up in Jebel Ali. Was that with uh, logistics and f expansion and freight in mind or was it more uh, the kind of available free zone at the time? Yeah, so at the time we just needed a corporate license. We needed to be able to hire, you know, one or two employees and we needed some storage for when we were bringing the first, you know, uh, containers of food in. Yeah. Um, Slowly, we then realized that we needed to go onshore, so we set up a local LLC company through DED. Mm. Again, I thought it would be difficult, but it wasn't very hard. We went to DED and they helped us through the entire process. Yeah. Um, and now, why, why did you need to do that? Just so, to have so trading presence. Yeah, yeah. So when you set up a Jebel Free Zone company, you can do business with anyone internationally. Yeah. But you can't sell directly onshore. So if I had a contract with Carrefour or Spinney's, I needed an LLC company to tra to transact. Okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And um, I'm just writing down here. So basically, um, uh, so basically, um, you had that base, you had that setup, you had the vision, you had the product. Uh, was there a moment that you knew that the product was good? Or was there just kind of persistence and self belief? Yeah, so so one thing that helped us, and I think was kind of our secret sauce is we spent a lot of time listening. And we did a lot of proprietary primary research. So what we did is we we actually interviewed a thousand mothers from around the region. These are real focus groups. I went to them. We couldn't hire a big company, so we did them on our own. We used Facebook polling. We used our friends. We got people at houses. And we started asking them quantitative. We did some quantitative research and asked them, you know, what are you looking for in organic milk? What's missing? Is vitamin D interesting? Do you want to? plastic uh, container or paper? Do you want plastic straws? All these things, right? 
So, so what we did is we asked so many people what they wanted, and then we went around the world and looked for this best milk and produced it as per their specs. So to answer your question, I always knew that people would like the product because I based it on what they asked for. Interesting. You know? And so even today, now that we're, you know, we're, we've expanded, we still go out and interview thousands of mothers every year for all of our new products. Mm. So we're always, we're always listening. Whether we like to hear it or not, it's always the be- been our best ammunition. Excellent. So basically, uh, there's been demand across the region. You've, your business is able to function and operate and distribute uh, from Dubai. What what sort of, um, you know, has, has that helped you that you were set up in Dubai and popular here in other markets? And then secondly, uh, what's required business-wise to get on the shelf, to get to the point of sale, to get the kind of distribution uh, in place? Yeah, so in terms of the first question, it has been absolutely wonderful setting up and being based in Dubai to help us expand into the international markets. I think there's two reasons. One, Dubai is actually a very competitive place to do business. Everybody around the world wants to do business in, in Dubai. And if you can create a product, get it on the shelf, and sell it successfully against 100 competitors in Dubai, it's like that exercise or that workout so that when you go to other markets where there's less competition, it's a lot easier. So I think it it makes you... Uh, create the best marketing, the best branding, the best distribution strategy and all that. Just being in Dubai is a good workout, right? The second advantage is that, again, Dubai is, you know, within a couple hours flight of a couple billion people and everything that happens in Dubai, the neighboring countries want to be like Dubai. So it's a great, again, platform market. Interesting. Um, In terms of the second question, what does it take to get on the shelf, you know, it takes a lot to get on the shelf here. I mean, when you go to some of these buyers, especially in the retail space, they have to, they'll ask you and say, look, I've got something on the shelf that's selling right now and making me money. You want me to take that off and put your product on that has no brand proof or anything, you know, how are you going to do that? You know, and so okay. we just spend a lot of time convincing buyers that, hey, we're a small company. We don't have the Nestle billion dollar budget. You know, we're just on Facebook, you know. And so we had to hustle, you know, and, yeah. and push them and get the, get our products on the shelf. But the good thing is once it got on the shelf with very little above the line marketing and a lot of social media, we were able to pull the product through. It started selling and the buyers saw that. And do you have to, you've got a kind of um, a premium product in terms of price in yeah. a way, is that fair to say? Uh, do you have to kind of... Uh, negotiate and offer favorable deals at the start to get there and does that jeopardize your margin? Yeah, so you, you, you sometimes do in the beginning. Uh, and I think once you get a little bit of scale, especially in the food business, you wanna try and keep your price the same across all channels. So now we sell to everybody in the UAE, but we give everybody the same price. But I think it's only because we had, we've built the brand up, so we've got some pull. Yeah, some exactly, pull you kind of stronger leverage. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and you, but, but in the beginning, yeah, you might wanna give one retailer a little bit of exclusivity period or give him a special promo, but you know, at a certain point, you can even it out. Okay, I'm interested to, you know, we, we to learn about kind of the future of food and especially in this region. We hear a lot about uh, different initiatives in different countries to try and to change how food is produced. There's lots of trends, uh, food trends, like vegan and different things are kind yeah. of really popular. Uh, where do you see that space and how do you think that Koja Milks is uh, positioned for that? Yeah, look, I think that um, j- there's a couple trends. I mean, in general, everyone's trying to eat healthier, 
right? So whether it's organic, non-GMO, or you're going from dairy to non-dairy, I mean, I think everybody is taking it up a, a, a notch, you know, and I think the, the big food companies who are focused more on cost and mass production are seeing that. In the United States or in the West, the homegrown brands are growing at the fastest rates in the world right now. And I think that's one trend that we've been, we're part of, you know, we're, we are a homegrown brand that focuses on healthy. Um, I think that people also don't want just a product, they want to hear the story. You know, they're not about buying just a milk, they want to know the story behind them. Where did it come from? How did they start, start it? Uh, what are the values of the company? I think that's really important. And then the other thing, the third trend I'm seeing is that uh, people are very environmentally conscious now. Mm. So for example, we have a no plastic straws policy. We don't have any plastic straws. We have twist off caps, even for the kid sizes. And even though that commercially wasn't the best decision, it was a little bit more expensive, it paid off because people started yeah. recognizing and realizing that. Those are some of the trends that we see right now. Okay, interesting. And what, what you know, once people, how, do, how is your uh, product produced differently than say, I've seen you've brought in some uh, lovely looking milk <laughs> that I want to taste now because I haven't sure. tried it yet, but sure. I see some different flavors like strawberry and things like that. Uh, you know, is that is that produced in the same way as other organic strawberry milk? Or yeah, so uh, it's fun. On the strawberry milk, we did something very disruptive, and what we learned is that when we were formulating strawberry milk, you know, one we wanted a wonderful taste, and when we were with the uh, the formulas in Italy, we realized that real strawberry milk is actually ninety percent white milk. It's about four or five percent organic strawberry puree, uh, ah. three four percent. Uh, brown sugar, and then vitamins. Right? And if you taste it like that uh, as white milk, it, you still t taste it, the flavor? It will taste like strawberry, okay. absolutely. And But when we were formulating, everyone was like, okay, well, what food coloring are you going to add? And I'm like, why do you need food coloring? They were like, hey, look, it's 90% white milk, and the rest of the, uh, and, you know, the 5% strawberry puree, when you whip it, is light, light pink. Okay. So we're like, why should we put, you know, food coloring? Let's keep it real. And yeah. we started thinking about it, and we, and we decided to forego any food coloring. What we also found out when we did our research is that one of the number one sources for red food coloring, red dye, comes from bugs. Uh -huh. So, you know, we really went against the grain. We realized that there are actually strawberry milks right now in the region uh, that use this bug for their food coloring, and we're like, wow, this is a huge differentiator. We need to we need to inform the public, you know. And is it safe though? Is it healthy? <laughs> it is, I mean, you're you're not it's, gonna you're not gonna die from it, but yeah. it's you know, I don't think my kids will be nope. excited knowing there's bugs in their milk. You no, know? wow, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 cool. Uh, it's good to know that there's kind of uh, again, it goes back to we need to know what we're consuming. And yeah. we need to be informed about these decisions as well. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that food coloring came from bugs. Uh, wow. So um, what's next for your company? What, you know, are you at that stage where you really want to scale? Do you, do you, do you see that there is you know, opportunity, market saturation in the UAE, regional? And would you like to go further? Would you like to go? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. We just had this strategy session. We were really honored because um, we had a Harvard Business School professor help us with our strategy session just last last year, and then they ended up writing a case study about us. Amazing. And the case study that Harvard did on Coida was about how we're thinking of scaling. And you know, that's a pretty cool accolade to be a case yeah, study at Harvard yeah. within six years of your business. It was it was wow. amazing. We're re really honored to be part of that. And now we'll be go I'll be visiting the classes and okay. you know doing some surprise visits and Very stuff like cool. that. But what I learned is that you know. 
scaling and growth depend on what you want as an entrepreneur. You know, if you want to, if you're into high growth, I want to make money and sell this thing. That's one angle. The other thing is, you know, if this is a legacy I want to build, I want to hand it over to my kids. I don't want to compromise quality ever. That's another strategy. So. You know, growth is good, but it's not great unless you manage it right. And I think that sometimes we get caught up with growing too fast and you get killed on cash flow issues and things like this. You got to be a little careful. But so to answer your question, we want to grow slowly. We're not into fast money. We want to not compromise quality, but we are looking at areas like yogurts, kids snacks. We want to stay in the healthy family kind of space. And we do have a couple new products coming out later this year. I can't tell you or I'd have to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, take you behind. You know, there's enough to kind of taste and test for now. And it'd be great to have you on again later in the year. No, it'd be my the, pleasure. Uh, really, thanks for joining us, Mustafa, this morning. And it's great to hear about Coisa Milks. No, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Have Perfect. A good day. Cool. Cheers. Yeah.